0: Hey, guys, we are back. Welcome to Rankable episode 41. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas, senior account executive at iPullRank. And today we've got a great episode lined up for you guys. I know we've been, we've been, uh, we missed last week's episode. So sorry, I've definitely been missing you guys. But uh, today we're going to talk about leveraging automation in your sales approach. But we're actually going to veer away from that because we actually have an interesting guest today. Um, This gentleman is is an entrepreneur, he's an author. Um, He's helped businesses transform during the pandemic and even before then. So, how do you, you know, helping businesses? um understand who their customer are are, you know, how to, to do the digital transformation, how to do digital marketing, how to better connect with your customers with content to create, so much more. Right. And as you guys know, that's something we talk about heavily here. So I do want to introduce our special, special guest today, Mr. Michael Kawala.
1: How are you, brother? Man, I am doing good. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to uh, jump into this. And uh, other than looking at this Yankee hat, Yankee hat, Yankee hat in front of me, I'll be okay.
0: Yanks, man. Corey Clue, yeah. no hitter yesterday, man. <laughs> tough, man, Hopefully we get a championship. We need number 27, man, or 28.
1: Nice. Well, I'm down here in Tampa, and so we just won a big championship this year. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> we're coming for you. <laughs> yeah. Even knowing, listen, we were talking before you hit record and started this live, you're a Jet fan. My wife's a Jet fan. So unfortunately, when Brady came down here, my wife just you know she's got like a love-hate relationship with him because of being a Jet fan and what New England did to us year after year after year.
0: Oh man, but he, he he's the goat, man. After you know winning that championship last year was just another notch in the belt, man. It's crazy. His greatness, man. So yep. shout out to him, man, and, and go Gang Green, man. Hopefully we our pick does something this year, our QB.
1: Yeah, hopefully. My wife's excited. But again, as I think I told you beforehand, um, her she loves all sports. My sport is business. So, um, you know, I watch it just because, um, you know, she forces me to, but I end up always finding somebody in the bars that we go to to end up navigating into a corner and talking business with them.
0: Yeah, that, but, but that's, that's why I love business as well. Right? Yep. Because 24 seven sport. It continues to go it never
1: 100%. Goes, and no, it's a sport. No
0: exactly. It is a sport, right? Because we have to, you know, I think our competitors, we have to be strategic in our approaches to business, right? And how do we grow our revenue, grow our business, and so on and so forth. But um, before we, we get into the actual nuances of, you know, entrepreneurship, how do you help your businesses and your clients? Tell us a little bit more about how you got into business in general? Like, why do you what do you love about it? And how did you Uh, Transform transformed to entrepreneurship or shift to
1: entrepreneurship? So, I mean, starting at the age of eight, I was getting Entrepreneur Magazine. So, you know, I was born in 72, literally uh, 1979, 1980 is when I started getting my first subscription. Loved it. My father worked on Madison Avenue. He had an agency uh, in Manhattan. So in the summers, my parents were divorced. I spent every summer, even when I was a, a little kid, in like, a you know, his agency working with him. And like, he stuck me in the mail room, whatever. But, you know, if we walked into a store, he did what was called point of purchase advertising, uh, POP displays. So when you walk into a store, why does a, is a display a certain way? And it still applies today, but from a little age, like at age six, I remember my father like literally telling me like, oh, look at that display. Like if it's cosmetics or alcohol or whatever it may be and saying, hey, here's why it is the way it is. And so growing up, I was always really interested in that. Um, Did like all the side hustles like everybody else um, throughout, you know, middle school, high school. Um, But for whatever reason, um, I headed off to Wall Street, Um, you know, got a career there. My father had passed away when I was in uh, college, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, So, you know, just a, a really big role model of mine. And for whatever reason, I was lost. I went on to Wall Street, did very really well. The best part of it is I met my wife, um, which was super cool. Uh, she hated me. I was an obnoxious uh, uh, individual because I hung around 200, 300 guys in a pit. If you ever saw the movie Boiler Room, yep. I literally worked at that firm at 44 Wall Street. So, wow. you know, it's uh, you know everything in that movie is 100% true. Um, so, you know, it's unfortunate. And I was kind of like the lead guy when I realized what they were doing. Um, And how they were manipulating stocks, I really didn't like it. So I transferred, I went to Dean Witter, ended up finishing my career at a company called Alliance Capital. Um, But during that time, um, I learned, uh, you know, literally 9-10-2001, came home, I'd already had a little side hustle going. uh, But that night, my wife told me we were having our first child. And so that very next morning, it was nine eleven. Um, I had gone in. I resigned, um, and a half an hour later, uh, the planes, you know, struck, and yeah, you know, wow. everything changed for this world. So, were you on the top floors or? Uh, No, I was actually on Wall Street. So I wasn't in the the trade centers. But, you know, lost a lot of friends, unfortunately. Um, I had a partner um, that literally like you you hear the stories everywhere. He was late. um, You know, so um, and actually just so you know, that day I was over in Secaucus, New Jersey. So extremely lucky. My wife was working down the street in Secaucus we were very fortunate but again lost people and um it was sad luckily my manager um of the floor really loved me because it's probably not the best time to be starting a business um but you know he decided like he was very wealthy um knew i had the entrepreneurial mind and wanted to partner so we looked at many different businesses we looked at car washes we looked at batting cage facilities for kids like a game facility where he was going to own the land and i would own the business side of it um so um you know it's just very interesting but throughout this journey i ended up becoming what was called a franchise broker So I bought a franchise where I could help others buy and sell businesses, which was super cool because I got to learn everything about the marketing side of every type of business. Great clips, fantastic Sam's, Handyman Matters, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Merry Maids, super cool. So long story short, ended up buying another franchise. I bought a cleaning business. Um, it was really successful. Had a really good time doing it. Um, but throughout that time, I worked myself out of a job. Um, this mm-hmm. was around 2007. I had managers in place, 50 employees, nothing to do. Um, so I started. Um, I met somebody at a conference, and we ended up uh, starting an online business, um, drop shipping. Dropshipping wasn't a thing back then. Um, yeah. so you know, reached out to a company called Hoover, Hoover Vacuums, yeah. um, and got the you know, got them to drop ship for us. Got another person to drop ship and Three years, four years later, we had 200,000 products on our website that were being drop shipped direct from manufacturers. Um, You know, we were ranked by Inc. Magazine as the 144th fastest growing company here in the U.S. Um, We had a lot of success, a lot of lessons. I learned a ton about SEO, kept hiring agencies, hiring agencies that, you know, back then it was uh, the wild, wild west, right? So, um, (laughs) you know, I got sued actually by Hoover for ranking, uh, outranking them on page one of um, Google. And it was funny because back then, you know, again, uh, Google's algorithm was very different. So today it it would be virtually impossible to outrank a brand like Hoover. But, you know, back then um, I did a lot of videos and all. And so my videos were outranking and we literally had um, a lawsuit to take ourselves off of page one of Google. That's, so
0: was, was it for a specific term? or Was it was it like for their branded term or something yeah, like that?
1: It wasn't even we weren't going after a term. I had a video that was a video demo <laughs> of showing their vacuum, how it would stick to a wall and just talking about it. And then just, you know, we had an offer at the end. It ranked and it outranked Hoover. And so there was nothing I could do. I'm not, I wasn't going to you know delete the video. I ended up having to delete the video, but um, yeah. you know, it, it was just interesting. They, back then, it, again, they, they thought like we controlled you know being yeah. ranked as number one. And if you remember pay-per-click ads, yeah. um, they weren't even um, paying for their own name back then, which was you know crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, a lot of things have changed, but I know that's not what we're here to talk about today, no. so uh, let's, let's jump right into it.
0: No, no. I, I thought that was very interesting because, like you said, that if they made you take the video down, right? But in yeah. SEO in twenty twenty one, right, you'd essentially be an influencer, and that's essentially would drive traffic back to their main site, and they would probably be happy today.
1: One hundred percent. And so, but they, you know, it's interesting because there's still a lot of brands out there. I would say that um, haven't transitioned into this digital age. So there is a, a, a ton of opportunities, you know, for companies like yourself and just everybody out there because. For sure. um, yeah, you know, I don't believe we're even, you know, tapping into the opportunity. I literally just before we got on the call, we we're speaking to somebody um, and we were talking about, um, you know, uh, geofencing. And so I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, you know, yeah. So you know, it's used obviously in the automotive industry very well, but any business owner can really use this right now and draw a geofence around anything. So, hey, you love, uh, I don't know, the, the New York Jets, right? You yeah. could draw literally a geofence around the stadium. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, you'll get uh, any planes flying over. But other than that, anybody that's at that jet game, if you're selling jet apparel, that would be the smartest per, um, tool to be using um, online, but again, yeah. people aren't doing it. So digital changes so fast and uh, all the time. So it, it's an exciting industry.
0: Yeah, and for those who, for the audience, for those who don't know what geofencing is, essentially, let me give you a good analogy. Say, for instance, I'm a contractor. I do home improvement or something of that nature, right? But I work in the Bronx. So I want to make sure I target customers in the Bronx specifically, right? So I could essentially create a geofence showing where my ads are shown in this geo you know, location, right? Say if I want it to be 10 miles, 15 miles, 20 miles, or the whole area of the Bronx, that would be my geo fence, right? So it's essentially just a place where you target your
1: ideal customers in a set geographic location. But here's the thing that's even more interesting, I think. If somebody's got a mobile ID, and this is really going to be very important right now with everything going on with what Apple's doing, what Google yep. just announced this week. So when somebody walks through there, every phone has a unique uh, mobile ID right? So when they walk through that fence, you have their information. I can not only send them a postcard or an email, I could also technically, if they have streaming TV,
0: yeah.
1: I'm a local plumber. I could have, you know, hey, you know, I saw you just um, walked into blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I mean, you can get that creepy on it, but exactly. it, it, it's super amazing. It, it's, uh, you know, this is a marketer's dream if you jump on this technology early.
0: Absolutely. So and I know you work with a lot of small businesses, right? And I I could imagine business has only accelerated with the pandemic, right? Especially for smaller like mom and pop shops, right? Have A brick and mortar store, they haven't really had the need for digital to grow their business, they're happy with their revenue, so on and so forth. Pandemic hits, stores aren't open at a certain capacity. And now they have to shift in ways to, you know, connect with their customers, right? So what is the biggest challenge that you've seen from like your customers you're working with, and getting them to digital getting them to understand the power of digital?
1: I mean, first off, you know, whether you're a, a local, you know, retail shop or an online, um, nobody was ever really looking at the basics of business, and they still don't today. I don't believe so. Yeah, you know, like um, technically, you know, I dissect a business over eight weeks, and what I look at first is always, you know, just. Do they know who their customer is? I mean, viciously knowing who your customer is, um, complementary companies um, that they do business with, um, competitors, right? Because then what happens is in you know the second week, what I like to do is look at their messaging. Do they really understand their messaging and how do they differentiate themselves from the market? Because then when you know those two things, then when you start to go get traffic, you can, you know, it's not just online, but you can do strategic partnerships. If you understand like a complimentary product, why aren't you reaching out to them and seeing how big their email list is and seeing if you can partner with them again, find a win-win um, situation there. But, you know, and just to touch on email lists, I'm just shocked at how many businesses, aren't really focused on um, email marketing and all the benefits that you could do with it. I literally was just speaking to somebody this week, 200, I wrote a post on LinkedIn about it, 240,000, 260,000 uh, Instagram followers. Um, they get uh, all, or it's all done organic over the last 18 months. They right. get like 40,000, I was looking at this analytics. That's another thing, never looked at their analytics. So mm-hmm. had a complete misunderstanding of who their market was. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm jumping around here a lot, but it's right. all just important stuff. Um, bottom line is no email list, right? So they had a website. They, when we looked at the analytics of the website, um, you would think with that big of a following, they get like 300 comments, all like very thoughtful comments on all of their posts. But when we looked at it, they were only getting like 10, 20 visitors a day. Um, coming to their website. But whenever they mentioned their website, which um, they weren't doing enough, you would see two, three, 400 spikes in their Google Analytics. So it just, you know, I said to them, I was like, hey, this kind of tells you what should you be doing? sharing your website more and don't be bringing them to a sales page because when i looked at when they were bouncing again looking at the numbers they were bouncing right away because they're not going to to just buy right away so why don't you give them something give them something of value you know you're somebody that's instagram that people are following like and really engage with give them whatever they're following you uh for so give a guide give a video you know people say that doesn't work it does work it It definitely works so you know was working with somebody six months ago um in the heart of the pandemic they had two three million uh followers on instagram and instagram actually um they did something against the terms and conditions it's still right. back and forth who knows? Um, but their account was locked it was locked for several months um and this dramatically impacted the business guess what still didn't have a freaking email um so it's just you know it's so right. important for us as marketers
0: yeah I, I think you hit the nail on the head right and i think Understanding who your audience is is number one, right? And then when you do get the email list, right, I think another important factor is segmenting that list, right? So say, for instance, I have a a thousand people on my email list, right? Everybody's gonna come for a different reason, right? they're following for a specific reason, right? And if you don't understand what that customer wants or expects from you in terms of content, then you're just going to be, you know, your your efforts are going to fall on deaf ears, right? So know who your audience is, especially across social. And then for the company you just mentioned, I think a good thing for them would be use a social listening tool, aside from giving content and, and being out there, but join the conversation. If somebody mentions your brand on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, right? How do you I think right now, I think a big thing for a lot of brands is how do I act like a person and give a human connection and not just a brand to a customer connection?
1: My favorite um, email I get every day, it's the f- like one of the first ones. I first thing I look at in the morning is Crunchbase. I love it. But my second thing that I look at is um, an email that I get from brand 24. And brand 24 is a social listening tool, but it's, it picks up like a lot of times if I'm on a podcast or in a, um, a publication, my name is obviously one of the things I'm listening for. Guess what? Like I hear it sometimes before the podcast host will, will tell me over before the publication says, Hey, that just went live. Would you give it a share? Right. And so, um, that's the power of social listening. But if you put your competitors in there or complimentary products or your customers, if you're if your average customer value is, you know, uh, let's say like a higher um, end product, so a 100,000, a million, whatever it may be, put social listening in, in there because when they're mentioned somewhere or their brand or their competitor is mentioned, you know, that's the best type of ABM marketing to do absolutely. to be reaching out to them. Say, hey, I just saw you listed in, you know, Forbes or I heard somebody in Reddit, like, because you can pick up Reddit threads. Yeah, absolutely. I heard in Reddit talking about this. Why don't you go in and answer this? And now they're like, you know, if you haven't done business yet, they're like, holy shit, like this guy cares. And can I, I didn't mean You're that. good. You're good. You're good. They're like, um, they're like, oh, this guy cares. You know, this yeah. this this individual really cares about my business. Guess what? No like trust, they're doing business with you. That's it. That's it.
0: Join the conversation, right? Like you said, look at the competitors. Look, especially for the long sales cycles. Like if you have a, a million dollar product, right? The pool of customers for that million dollar product is going to be substantially, you know, lower than uh, a product that's worth five, ten, twenty thousand dollars on the market, right? So you need to be in those places. You need to understand what those customers want, and then you could tailor your strategy from that, right? Be personable, right? That—that's what we do. I used to work for a social listening platform. I used to work for Talkwalker?
1: Ah, oh, that's all. But <laughs> you, to that point, listen. You know what people do? It's like in in those higher ticket items, they all do the same crap. Send yep. o- send Omaha steak, so they send like a nice welcome yeah. kit or something like that. And don't get me wrong; that's everybody cool. loves a good steak. It's cool, yeah. but when you send somebody just like an article or you print it out, yes, old school, and I go over to my there and I print it out, I fold it up, I write a letter, maybe I have my daughter draw them a nice little picture, stick it in their freaking en- envelope and send it to them, that will stand out so much more and be so much tastier than an Omaha steak. I'm telling you, it will Absolutely. close the business.
0: Absolutely right. The fact that you went the extra mile, right? You said you had your kid. There goes the human, the personal yep. connection, right? This dude is a father. He's a He must be a good dude, and and he cared about me, right? I'm I didn't do any business with you. I didn't give you an SOW. I didn't sign a contract. You genuinely want to help me, and that builds your trustworthiness, your credibility, and then it leads you into sales conversations. Like for all salespeople listening today. Do not underestimate the power of that, right? The power of word of mouth referrals, the power of your social branding, right? Your personal brand, right? You should be creating that. Because if you think about it, if you're a guy or a salesperson that's sending off a thousand emails, which is important, you're sending out your, you know, you're doing your prospecting, you're doing your cold calls, those are still very important. But if somebody like me, who's creating content every single day and I've amassed the following of, you know, eight, 9,000 people, right? And I get a hundred likes or 50 likes and got people in my DM, that are my ideal customers. Are they gonna buy from you or would they buy from me? Right. The reason why they would buy from me is because they understand my story. I have more trustworthiness, right? I'm more credibility. I'm speaking to their audience, speaking to their challenges, and they feel I understand it. Like I had a conversation the other day with a with a VP of marketing, and she told me it was really cool. And shout out to her if she's listening. Um, she told me like she's about to get on a call, with. they said she told her team, she was like, Yeah, the team said they better work with us because they've seen our content, right? That's so true. is that a that's a layup? I don't it, have to definitely. I
1: don't do anything. I have to, all I have to do is understand the problem and then solve. It. And, you know, to that point, leveraging social trust, right? Leveraging mm-hmm. other people, leveraging other people's audiences. Um, you know, it's the, the fastest way to grow a business. Um, you know, a lot of times, again, I, I love online. I think it just, it's fueling the fire, right? But, Absolutely. Um, but the, the fastest way in my opinion is when you really know where your audience is like what podcasts they listen to what um books do they read what authors right or what, what shows they listen to what newsletters they subscribe to what conferences do they go to and yeah. now you reach out to like so there's like a handful of conferences a couple of years ago um yeah. that i knew my avatar was always hanging at, right and so i had a uh, a twitter tool it was a sass tool and yeah. everybody um was obviously very interested in um, social media examiner. Right. And yep. so every year they had social media marketing world. Hopefully they come back next year and I'm sure yeah. they will. Yep. Um, and I just knew. And so what I do, I connect, I looked at, all right, who were all the speakers at, at that event? I yep. put them on a Twitter list. It was a private list and I started just, you know, randomly sharing this stuff, connecting with them, um, you know, liking their stuff, nothing very hard, five minutes on Twitter, very focused time. Right. But yep. you know what? I would say probably like twenty percent of those speakers not only became customers but became affiliates of ours, and it's that's how we scaled to ten thousand customers like literally within eighteen months.
0: That's it. That that's a perfect example, right? And that that just goes to demonstrate for everybody listening the power of social, right, and why it should be incorporated, especially for small businesses. I feel like, or even bigger businesses. I I, I speak to a ton of B two B brands that are over well over a million a hundred million dollars of revenue right that just don't get it right one brand that really does it well is gong right they have like yeah. their whole team yep. you see them on linkedin their whole team posts content the cmo is good the account executive the damn SDRs, is a damn posting content that's excellent so- but
1: they give them the free they they actually you know what i mean like that's where uh, i think it comes from top down right yeah. and so they get that and a lot of times top you know is they don't let them create their own personal brand And having your own personal brand, you know, and your team having a personal brand is so important because, you know, I, you know, I'm a New Yorker. Um, I'm also, you know, very religious, right? And so sometimes some people might not jive with that and that's okay, but maybe somebody else um, on the team they do, right? And so let them have their voice and give them the freedom. Cause guess what? Also, they're going to be a happier employee and they're going to stick around. Exactly. Exactly.
0: But I think the biggest challenge, I think most brands, it's hard for them to step away from the light because they understand the benefits on both sides, right? Yeah. Because if you do create a personal brand, right, you do get this notoriety, you have recruiters trying to poach this person, you have other you know, brands looking at them, you have all those things. So I understand that they're nervous at that aspect of it, <laughs> the level of, of like, people are gonna trust the person rather than the brand, right? Same thing with salespeople, right? Like if that's why relationship building is is different from social selling to me, right? Social selling is me listening to your to your you know your pod or listening to your content, liking your content, doing like ten touches, and then I'm gonna hit you in the DM with a pitch, right? Yep. I think that's eh, it doesn't work, right? But if you just stick to what works for me, to be honest with you, and it might sound crazy. I don't make an ask. Yeah. I don't make any ask. I don't automate. You it. don't have to. You don't have to, right? But then you lose your leverage as a salesperson. Yeah. you lose your leverage, right? I ra- I'd rather be the hunted rather than the hunter, right? And the yeah. way you do that is by creating a content that speaks to your audience, right? Being yourself. I'll share the moments of me and my son on the jet ski, right? That's because awesome. Person, And that's just what it is, right? And then you see that now I'm on the phone with you. But that was really cool, Jared. How old your son? And this and the third. And now we have something to build on. And then once we build on that, we get into your problem. And then you, the, the floodgates wide open,
1: right? And I think you have to um, a, understand this, you have to B, have a system um, behind it and you have to have trust and faith in the system, right? And so, you know, one of my um, favorite books, I speak about it all the time and I follow it. It's called The Dream 100, the Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Um okay. Chet Holmes had passed away a few years back. He had brain cancer. Um, I was fortunate to get interviewed by him and Tony Robbins in 2012. Um, And, you know, it was awesome. They tore apart my business um, because, you know, I thought, you know, hey, you know, I was cocky. I just, you know, we just had a a, a really good time. Our business did really well. I thought they were interviewing me about that in front of 5,000 people. But instead, um, you know, they did congratulate me. But then they were like, hey, look at all this that you left on the table. Um, which was really interesting. But, you know, back to um, to Chet Holmes, you know, trust in the process. He started off walk- working for an individual called uh, Charlie Munger. Um, so Charlie Munger is uh, Warren Buffett's partner, right? Okay. And so, um, you know, he had to go after, I believe it was, he got a list of 22 or 2,800 um, agencies to right. basically reach out to and do business with for a publication. Um, but instead, you know, in the beginning, He just picked the top 80% that was spending money. And then he just stayed in front of them, stayed in front of them, stayed in front of them. Right. Every day he would just reach out to five of them. So if you have a Dream 100 in a month, you could reach out to all of your Dream 100. Right. And then month two, you started again and started again. But he would just really do what we were talking about send a send. He called it lumpy mail. So he'd send something in the mail and it was, you know, lumpy. So it would stick on the desk and people would open it to see what's in it. But you know, it was highly effective. And in the beginning, Charlie Munger got really nervous because it was like, wait, this guy, you know, th- three months in, six months in, wait, I just hired this top sales guy. This ain't working. He's not doing anything. But all of a sudden, nine months later, 12 months later, nice. you know, not only did he become number one, but then he just blew away everybody. And it, why? Because the system works. And you got to have faith in the system. And you got to trust Absolutely. the system. And you just got to follow it. But, but that's the problem with most
0: organizations, right? Because we have superficial numbers or, you know, high quotas or whatever the case may be. We're short, we're, we're so in the short term and we don't think long term.
1: Microwave society.
0: That That's what it is, right? And okay. that's it's a failure of a lot of businesses, right? Like, do you I, guys do SEO? Yeah, absolutely. We're, you we do? specialize in technical Yeah.
1: Research. So, you, you know, what kills me is like, so again, I, I got my ass burnt in two thousand eight, and I learned um, SEO very, very well. And you know, I respect some of the best out there, like Neil Patel. Robbie Richards is a good friend of mine. I think he's brilliant. Um, You know, very good on SEO, or he writes good content. Yeah. Here's the thing about it, like Mike King, because he's up there in that list. That's our
0: co. That's our managing director. Oh, very. Yeah, he's one of the top out there. So Neil Patel, he's a good one, but he also has a lot of writers.
1: He does one hundred (laughs) percent right, and. Okay, I won't go down the road. But yeah, he, yeah. Um, here's the thing about SEO, it, you have to have faith in it. You have to have trust in it. It's you know if you look at anybody that's saying that they're going to, and yes, there are things you could do to get you know some immediate wins, no doubt about it. If you're on page two, like I was just looking at somebody the other day, um, spot eleven. You know, yes, some work. Very well. It was a good term. It was getting eighty eight hundred searches. Um, no, we could get it to page one very yeah. fast. Right, no doubt. And again, I don't do SEO, but I was just looking at it for them. I was like, hey, that's you got to reach out to somebody. You can get there very fast. But in general, if you want to rank for a lot of important terms, you just have to have like faith. You have to hire somebody that really knows. You don't want to have somebody that's scamming you and you know yeah, pulling yeah. the wool over your eyes. So yeah. you know, trust, research the firm. You know, obviously, it sounds like you guys do an incredible job. Understand that. But then don't be one of those clients that's that's pushing them because what happens is is then eventually these companies start doing things that are shady, right? And that's what ends up coming in, you know, biting companies in the ass. And we don't want that. But SEO, organic marketing is, you know, by far, if you could wait, I wish. I was so dependent Mm -hmm. on Google. I'm not joking. Like, you know, I met um, Content Marketing Institute. What's his name? Uh, Pelosi. Uh, Uh, It's got a breaker. Uh, Joe, right? Joe Paluzzi. Okay. Like When he started um, that company in 2008, I had started um, my company. And so we were both ranked at, um, in Inc. magazine and met him at this event. We were talking. What's funny is that, you know, he had spent total from 2008 to 2012 $40,000. I was spending that probably easily a month. Yeah, and pay-per-click because yeah. I was so freaking dependent, but his content, he had so much about it. And I didn't start that until three years into my business. So, and you still see it today. You ask people, what's the content strategy? Oh yeah. We're putting out once a month, a, a blog post. And then you look at it. A, it's.
0: Yeah. Wait, wait, I think I'm losing you. Wait, did I lose you? Socks and B
1: once a month. Hello. I think I lost you. Wait for a second. I just Hopefully had these to... comes back in and up. Oh, yep, yep. Okay. Yeah. I lost you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah but um it, it's just you know it, i started three years late on it and i shouldn't have um but yeah. you know long story short uh I, I think all businesses so important and just what look at what we're doing right now yeah, this piece yeah. of content you're going to download it you can write a blog post around it you have like probably like 10 or 20 pieces of content that you can use between you know insta here on linkedin you know yeah. you clip a little part this. i mean my son who's you know, on the other side of the house right now, he's uh-huh. graduating next week. God bless him, so psych for him, uh, 18 years old. And that's what he's doing. He's not going to college. He does video editing already for businesses. And he makes, yeah. you know, really good money and hopefully he's gonna make a lot more and he enjoys what he does, but he takes people's like um, Twitch streams and uh-huh. then he puts it down into like, you know, either 30 second or, you know, anywhere up to five minutes, like little strips for people. Yeah. And now they've got multiple content to be sharing and sharing and sharing it's, it's so, so important
0: repurpose repurpose yep. the name of the game right how do you turn one thing into 10 pieces of content right yeah you said right we, we clip this up that's two days of linkedin if i got four four clips from this that's a week worth of content right yeah. spread that out then we could create a blog post around it. we could do so many things right and i think the biggest thing for content like you said with a lot of businesses right they they create that one piece of content right the problem is they just think they create for themselves and not the audience yeah Right. This is what I think is important for my business. This is what I think you should be searching for. This is what I think you should be looking at me for. No, I'm going to search the way I want to. And if the, what yep. the pandemic hasn't shown us is that everything has been flipped on its head, right? The way we search is different. The way we consume content is different. The way we buy is different. We, we want, you want a frictionless sales process. And what I mean by that is you want the content to speak for itself and answer all of the customers' questions. So by the time they speak to Michael or myself on the sales side, they already know what they want we're literally just doing the human to human connection and, and giving you contracts
1: and but also it's not just writing that piece of content once and then you're done and no. you see that as a lot of error with folks where it's like again this this is going to become multiple pieces of content and then when you share it if you don't share it like sometimes people think just share it once and i'm done no, no. share it multiple times tag people in it have conversations with people in the thread because yeah. what happens that feeds the algorithm right and so yes. uh, i'm you know uh, You got to understand the way these algorithms work and and LinkedIn, right? And so the minute somebody comments, particularly in that first hour, go in and comment back. And then all of a sudden that starts it. And next thing you know, you're like, wait, why did this one post do better than the other? And you think that it's got to do sometimes with the content, but it could just be a couple of comments down there in the thread and having a good conversation with people. So there's so much value in content.
0: And, And what Michael's referring to right now on LinkedIn, guys, I know we spoke about it, but it's called the golden hour, right? It's the most important hour of when you first post, right? It basically tells the algorithm based on your engagement or how much engagement you receive, how many feeds they push you out into, right? Yeah. So you, you, know, I don't know if you noticed or, or know of this, right? But like if you do support, right? That boosts your, your engagement, that boosts your you know, notoriety in the algorithm and so to speak, right? So support, make sure you review, you comment, you do everything you need to do to get that engagement up in that first hour and then you'll notice the difference, right? One, that will be the difference between 5,000 and 10,000 views, right? So always think about that. You know, if you gotta that's why people do pods, right? And a
1: pod I was just is, gonna ask you what are your thoughts on pods? I I, I hate them. Yeah, You know what? I bet you anything. And and I, I wrote about this uh, last week um, with uh, LinkedIn's change of uh, now only 100 you know connections, which I think is fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I bet you anything. You're going to see a lot more pods popping up. Um, you're going to see a lot more spam coming into your messaging yeah. because they didn't limit messaging. Um, so, you know, it's again, I was in Twitter automation. Um, I believe what we did was good because we actually listened um, to folks. So if you said like content marketing um, for logistics, we would go and follow you because we were a logistics company. We did social listening and we did it in an authentic way. Yes, there were spammers on it, but... I just think that everybody's gonna come in on LinkedIn now with this recent change. You're gonna see more pods because it's gonna get them out there. And it's like with the pods, it's so smart and easy to detect them. When you yeah. see that same person, like don't think that you're beating it. I literally just saw this on um, another show that I was on and I asked them, I said, was you know, was this a pod? And I was curious because yeah. I noticed you know all the same uh, type of comments down there. It didn't sound authentic, it didn't sound real. But when well, you get that authentic, that's what feeds the, the dragon. That's what feeds it and pushes it out. That, that's, that's why I hate them. I feel like it's just beating
0: the system. Right. But if you do it organically, you can have an organic pod, right? Okay. If, you build, if you build relationships the right way, right? If you just help people, cause you want to help people and not just to sell them. Right. If you're commenting on others, posts, you're supporting their content It's going to be reciprocated. Right. So it's to the point now where if I post something tomorrow or today, I know I've got 30, 40 people that I know is going to like my comment or my content. if they see Do
1: it you right? look at your score? A lot, of uh, selling index thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do, but I don't refer to it. Yeah, do you really think it has anything to do? Not
0: really. I think I, me personally, what I judge my success on is the amount of relationships I build. Who's yeah. in my DM? Who reaches out to me? Who wants to have a conversation? Those type of things. Like all the likes and comments, that's cool, but it's just like a, it's a like you said, it, it's a vanity metric. I look it's at vanity. it like it's ego, Yeah, it's just you know, it's for gazy for guysy. I tell them like, um, what's the thing? A good analogy I use, like it's like a restaurant, right? So if I'm posting content, my content is the restaurant. You see a line all the way out the door, down the end of the block. You're gonna say, "Damn, this guy must be important, or it must be good content." Let me keep an eye out for him, right? That's all you want, and that's the reason I want the likes and the comments. It just gives you additional clout and all that other stuff. But relationships is where it's at. I've got people from Germany, Africa, just a guy from the Bronx in my apartment doing that's content, right? You know what I mean? Just being myself, and that's what's important, guys. So always. Be yourself, don't worry about what the next man is doing. Do you.
1: <laughs> Do you, I like that. Um, that was the post I made today. If we're on LinkedIn and once people are done, click on it, they'll see it. It Literally, it shows my my bunny. Um, I'm a big family guy, so I'm always talking about family and business, and I try to tie it together um, yep. because I believe a lot of us get into business to support our family. But then what happens is that tentacle starts getting around us, strangling us. And next thing you know, um, we're married to our business versus our family. Um, so, you know, but today I shared a picture of my uh, little bunny, and you can see his nose moving, but he always lays down next to a statue of a bunny. And the difference is, I said to say, Hey, we have a pulse, right? My bunny has a pulse, but that statue is just a statue. Don't be a statue online. Don't copy people. Have a pulse. Share people with your heart. Be authentic. Be you. You know what? And guess what? Some people are allergic to my bunny. Some people don't like his ears because his ears stick up. And some people (laughs) like those floppy little ears. Doesn't freaking matter because those that like his ears, his little pulse, his little nose that will come up and like, cuddle next to you, guess what? They're going to just jump all over him. And that's the same with business. It's the same with sharing content. Be you. Don't be afraid. Don't try to copy everybody else out there because you can't be them.
0: You can't be them. Be yourself, man. Nobody can be a better you than you. That's it, man. So I think that's a great place to end off. I saw we went a little over, man, but I was enjoying the conversation. I didn't want to stop the flow, but Michael. I enjoyed this, man. Thank you for joining today. Thank you for all the gems you provided today, man. Please let the people know your, your LinkedIn, where to connect with you. And, you know, like we're definitely, I know we're
1: definitely going to be in touch, man. So I no, That's it. awesome. And so just my first name, last name, easy to find online. You'll see the koala bear everywhere. There you go.
0: There you go. So thank you, everybody who attended. I know there's going to be a lot of people who- questions on the feedback. But thank you again, guys. Next week, we'll be back with Shopify's director of SEO, Kevin Indig. Going to be a really good one. So look forward to seeing you guys again. And Michael, thanks again, brother. I hope you enjoy, man. Talk soon. Catch. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. Again.